Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Sheen Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Shane Demon, And I'm Father Travis Crotty. It's good to be with you all again. Father, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Father, welcome back to the show as well. It's good well, to see you. Well, thank you. I'm glad Every we can time. welcome each other as the, the co-producers and host of our own show here. <laughs> you know, that is very much, it is a co-production, you know, and I've got the equipment here. But you, you know, Father Shane, you're always coming up with those snappy titles. You know, when we were here, when we were here kind of both in Northwest Iowa, we'd always have these little moments where we'd sit and just kind of blankly stare at each other trying to think of these creative titles. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you who might not, you, you might not kind of like style yourself as a creative guy, you, you somehow come out with these pretty snappy titles. Oh, I like to keep them as short as possible because I just think that a really, really long title showing up on someone's phone is not going to really be that captivating. So... If I can get it down to two or three words, you know, you know who, you know where that's from. Uh, in homiletics in, in seminary, that was from Monsignor Mahold from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Mm. We, when we would finish a practice homily, uh, he always wanted to talk about the ethos and the pathos and the telos of our homily. But then he always made us sit down after our homily and say, define your entire homily in two or three words. That's good. Yeah. It, it was, so when you were forced to kind of pigeonhole it like that, Mm. Uh, it really, it really helped you focus. You know what the driving thesis or the thought was for the day. You know, my homiletics professor told me, Travis, you're never going to have a problem talking. You're just going to have to think about what you say before you say it. <laughs> I'm glad that I can bring that into wow. our experience of the podcast as well, That's Father. Savage. Shane, you know? <laughs> it was a, in the context, it was a compliment in that other men who kind of struggled to come up with content. He said, you will never struggle to come up with content. He said, but you need to put energy into just deciding what's going to be the best thing to say. Um, And that has been prophetic in more ways than one. Sure. (laughs) But I'm glad we can both bring our experiences of, you know, homiletics preparation here into our, uh, our ministry of the podcast about Mm, Cascade. That's right. You know, Father Shane, I continue to meet folks who are listeners across the diocese. I was just in Uh Sioux Center and Rock Valley recently, covering masses there for Father Mauro Sanchez. And it was a good time and met a few people um, at Christ the King there in Sioux Center. I think some people in Rock Valley too who said they listened to the podcast. So for those of you who reached out, thanks so much. And as I I said too, I said, hey, write to us. Let us know know, what you think. And they said, you know what? I was thinking about that when you said that on the last one, and now I'm going to have to. So there you go. Thanks so much for listening. It's, it's It's good to be actually able to see all these folks in person. Yeah, keeping with that same theme of shout-outs, you know, shout-out to anyone in Northwest Iowa who's listening, but I want to do a few shout-outs much further abroad to the United Kingdom. Ah. Uh, We also have some listeners there who have reached out as well, and just want to give a shout-out to them and anyone um, listening also from Portland, Oregon, I believe. Uh, So any of those shout-outs that, you know, just please know that you're in our thoughts, you're in our prayers. We don't know who we're touching. We don't know who we're reaching uh, but if anyone is feeling outcast Catholic, or if anyone just has more, you know, curiosities about the faith and the church itself, you're certainly to keep. You're certainly welcome to to listen in and to support us on our own mission as we try and support you. And with that, a special shout out to anyone in the United Kingdom, because today is going to be a very British topic. Oh, today we're going to focus on G.K. Chesterton. Mm. 
One of my heroes. Um, Give us a quick born little. Born in 1874. Yeah, I was going to ask for the bio, and it's already coming. The, the, go ahead. Born in 1874, died in 1936. Uh, he was born the same year as uh, Winston Churchill. And um, both, you know, both rather kind of jovial, rotund men, right? Yeah, you could say that. <laughs> yes, you could <laughs> say jovial that. jovial Winston Churchill was, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah, Chesterton, um, kind of this larger-than-life figure, became kind of a, a great literary figure, a very kind of large and imposing man, uh, just physically, but certainly with his wit and his intellect. Uh, became just a very prolific writer. Didn't have really firm religious roots uh, growing up. Through the uh, influence of his bride, his future wife, uh, became a, 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 an Anglican, though he would describe himself as being an agnostic earlier, and then later went on to become a Roman Catholic. Mm. And I just want to focus on one thing today with Chesterton, Um, and we're just going to talk about fairy tales today, okay? And for any of our listeners, just just hang in there, okay? (laughs) Just hang in there with us, and there's a reason for this, all right? Chesterton had a wonderful imagination. He was he was an artist, both with his pen and writing, but he was an artist uh, physically with his paintings and his drawings. And he had a wonderful imaginative capacity to project into realms uh, just beyond himself and to ponder, you know, the extraordinary things that were around him in the ordinary everyday events of his life, but also to take that same imaginative capacity and to think about heavenly things as well. Uh, things in the divine realm, things in eternal life. And he saw very clearly the the important role of fairy tales to do that as it awakens within children um, an imaginative capacity to see beyond the here and now, uh, but also everyone likes a great story. I don't care, you know, if you're an elderly person. Everyone likes a great story. Everyone likes, you know, a hero Everyone likes the conquest uh, as, as a hero strives for good in the face of aggression, in the face of evil, um, and how virtue is, is going to be portrayed in those heroes, how the vices of villains also get portrayed, um, and, and how the, uh, you know, the lessons learned throughout life can be portrayed in these, in these wonderful stories. So I'm just going to offer you one um, passage from Chesterton on fairy tales, then we're going to go and pack it with a few more things. Um, Father Crotty, this is coming from Chesterton's work on Charles Dickens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this particular moment, he's talking about fairy tales, you know, children's fables, uh, children's stories, things that uh, can really help children learn their lessons in life. And he says this, Fairy tales do not give the child his first idea of boogie. What fairy tales give the child is his first idea of the possible defeat of boogie. Mm-hmm. The baby has known the dragon intimately since he had an imagination. What the fairy tale provides for him is a St. George to kill the dragon. Exactly what the fairy tale does is this. It accustoms him by a series of clear pictures to the idea that these limitless terrors have a limit, that these shapeless enemies have enemies, that these infinite enemies of man have enemies in the nights of God that there is something in the universe more mystical than darkness and stronger than strong fear. One of Chesterton's great quotes, and I could go on with hundreds of them. We might get to a few more here in this episode. We'll see how it's going. Um, but, but Chesterton is pointing out here that the whole genre of fairy tale, 
the whole genre of just fantasy literature. What is this doing? It's helping us project the ideals of the world into a fantasy land, not to, a, not to escape from our reality, but to see how the ideals are played out in, in, in fun characters and in the struggle of good versus evil and how evil, you know, in the, in the face of authentic good, it always crumbles and falls. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chesterton saw this so clearly. He saw the importance of a child's imagination to awaken uh, a young child to something beyond oneself. And, to, and to, the, uh, to the extent that you can see that, what happens to the ar- world around you? Well, all of a sudden you start to have a capacity by which you can see the extraordinary in the ordinary. Uh, and you get to start to see the world around you as enchanted. Uh, this, this is just a very, very important theme for Christian believers. Can you see the world around you as enchanted, knowing that there are spiritual powers at work there are demons that try and tempt us. There are guardian angels that hover over us. There are saints interceding for us. And that the, if we could, um, you know, we would see that the invisible realm of God's creation you know, is so prominent and so present here in the visible realm of what we see within you know, three-dimensional uh, you know, aspects around our lives. Mm-hmm. To be able to see the world as enchanted, all of a sudden be, be, everything starts to take on new life, new meaning, new expression, and we get to draw out these extraordinary elements around us through very ordinary means of our daily living. Father Shane, I have so many exciting thoughts. First, Fire I, at will. I must share an anecdote where this quote from Chesterton was used uh, by a mother to her son. So uh, okay. Noel Garcia is a, is a popular Catholic speaker who goes around. Sure. We had her in the diocese one. She's often yeah, we've had her speak before. Steubenville yes. conferences, and she told us the story while we were eating dinner one time before one of our recent co- or conferences that we had. So her, her son was experiencing, you know, as many children do, this idea that there was a monster under the bed. And she, you know, she was kind of telling at first saying, hey, there's no monster in the bed. And somebody in her life said, no, no, no. Remember what Chesterton said. Don't, don't tell your, your child that there's no monster in the bed. Teach them how to defeat the monster under the bed. Right. Mm-hmm. Like they have this imagination. So like lean into that imagination. So she said that she taught him to say, when you see that monster, you tell him in the name of Jesus, go away. Mm. So he did. So they heard him shouting from his room in the name of Jesus, go away until one day they were at target and there was a woman with a particular hairdo that was a little, um, eccentric and a little mm. scary. And as they were pushing the cart by, <laughs> um, he stood up and pointed and with gusto shouted in the name of Jesus, go away. Ooh. Um, but I think, I think <laughs> the mother was, uh, down the aisle doing something else and just kind of played it off. Like whose kid said that and just kind of walked away. <laughs> so <laughs> no, hilarious though, but exciting. No. So what's really you know, excited about every type of art, every type of art, every type of fine art, whether that be literature, whether that be painting, sculpture, is an imitation in some way of nature. And the imitation of nature is offered for the sake of contemplation of that thing in itself, right? Um, so I think one of the kind of most interesting things is, you know, we see in like Greek columns on buildings that that column is actually using the same proportions of the human body, right? And there's this contemplation then that's offered where you can actually look at the column right or the contemplation that happens in art a you know a still um, a still frame of of a bowl of fruit it's not just to see how realistic you can get to the bowl of fruit right Um, but the idea of painting is so as to contemplate the reality that's being 
you know, propose because we experience, you know, what um, impressionism does is tries to catch a moment and we experience life so often in these kind of fleeting moments, these things that come and go. So the whole point mm-hmm. of artists to be able to like contemplate what's happening. So I think what's neat in this way with a fairy tale is it does the same thing, right? It takes reality and it imitates reality. Like you said, the kind of struggle of good and evil, like the struggle of the kind of protagonist and antagonist in a story, like all the different relationships that are at play that help that story, that fairy tale kind of go along. And especially to recognize that children have the capacity of and for contemplation, right? That children don't just have to be distracted all the time by things that are shiny and bright, but that actually have a capacity to contemplate these things that are deep, right? Mm -hmm. We see that with folks who are engaged in, you know, catechesis of the good shepherd, Right, that the way Jesus told stories, like that, can actually be offered in such a way to small children that they have a capacity to to contemplate those realities very deeply. You know, and I think that's exciting to recognize. I've just realized more and more as we enter more and more deeply into a materialistic, kind of rationalistic world and culture. Right, we we try to stray away from things like a fairy tale. What happens more and more is we focus on okay, the only things that are real or what I can prove materialistically and scientifically, right? But then because we need transcendence in our life, we often just escape to video games, right? Mm-hmm. This kind of classical and beautiful literature that Chesterton is talking about, the fairy tale, right, that's often told to children, is actually right in between those two. It takes account of reality, but it takes account of reality not in a way to escape it, right? It's not just a story to distract myself. It actually helps me engage the reality more deeply, right? Just like good art should, I think it's is it C.S. Lewis who talks about like um, if a like if a like a chi- if a children's story is good if a fairy tale is good it should be enjoyed by adults as well like oh, that's sure. like a, a like a, a measure of the quality you know yes because as you say we're not escaping reality in this art form of the fairy tale genre of literature we're actually diving into it by by enhancing it and highlighting that which is good true and beautiful in all of reality which then becomes, uh, you know, emphasized and highlighted throughout this this genre of fairy tale. Um, and it, it's good that you say that these children have a capacity for this um, and that we, we really have a responsibility to draw that imaginative capacity to see the extraordinary in the ordinary. Um, I can't help myself. I'm going to give you another Chesterton quote here, okay? Yes, I'm here for it. <laughs> this is from The Common Man. This comes in later, uh, the later years of Chesterton's life. As a, as a practicing Catholic, and he says this, I do not think the child is deceived or that he attempts for a moment to deceive himself. I think he instantly asserts his direct and divine right to enjoy beauty, that he steps straight into his own lawful kingdom of imagination without any quibbles or questions such as arise afterwards out of false moralities and philosophies, touching the nature of falsehood and truth. In other words, I believe that the child has inside his head a pretty correct and complete definition of the whole nature and function of art, with one addition, that he is quite incapable of saying even to himself in a single single word on the subject. If he says anything, he says only what was said by those men who saw the white blaze of the transfiguration. It is well for us to be here. So, you know, he Chesterton just says, even within children, they understand the function and the nature of art, that it draws out of the, the, our imaginative capacity an appreciation of, of beauty 
and an ability to go beyond ourselves into an ideal that this reality is always summoning us towards. And Father Shane, sorry, I thought I was going to cut you off. You haven't said the word yet, but this Catholic imagination that fairy tales like accentuate, this is a sacramental worldview, right? Yeah. That's what it means. Like that's what it means to be Catholic. And that's what, so in so many ways we've lost the, so that the presentation of the sacramental life of the church, it seems so odd and off-putting, right? It just seems like kind of an odd set of rituals that don't really have a place to land on kind of a materialistic, rationalistic way of living, Right. But the more and more, like you're saying, and, and Chesterton is, is showing here, is that this very, very human experience of, of telling fairy tales, right, um, of leaning into these big realities and that aren't just kind of, I mean, you think of like, what is it, Grimm's fairy tales that are like kind of crazy mm-hmm. sometimes. And that's almost become sure. like a, a meme of like the German fairy tale is like, once mm-hmm. you actually unpack it, it's like, oh, oh, that's so dark, you know, but it's actually a way to... Um, to deal with reality because it turns out reality is difficult, you know, mm-hmm. and we can kind of distract ourselves from that a lot today. And just because we live with a lot of creature comforts today and kind of our, our, you know, middle-class experience of society, we don't often experience the difficulties that folks have in the past, but from those difficulties, you know, this capacity to tell stories and those stories, right. Can bring about a greater awareness of reality. That actually is like a context then for the sacraments, that if the sacraments are to f- see the extraordinary in the ordinary, right, to see the eternal in the, like, earthly and temporal, right? I was just in adoration, like, recently, like, literally right before we, like, started recording. I was praying this evening, and I thought that recently. I was reading something that was getting at the exact same thing about the eternal in the temporal. Like, that's what the incarnation is. That's what you're saying. That's what God does, is that he becomes present in the ordinary experiences. And that didn't just happen through the incarnation of Jesus on earth that continues now through the sacraments of the church, right? Mm-hmm. Which is exciting. And that's often what's so lost on young people, right? But if mm-hmm. we start with kind of the, the excitement and the glory of the fairy tale, and there's a context in that they grew up with that, mm-hmm. that the sacraments aren't just a quote unquote fairy tale, not just a story, right? But that same reality that a fairy tale is opening up. That's what we're experiencing as well. Yeah, you used that earlier, that very helpful phrase of a sacramental imagination. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is something that every Catholic has to have, to be able to see the invisible occurring and, and being poured forth within the visible. Uh, there, there's always an invisible grace at work in these visible gestures and materials that we use in the sacraments of the church. But to take on a sacramental imagination means that we can see that being played out in a very large way in the world around us. There's always invisible graces at work. There's moments of divine providence weaving together different patterns, different events, different persons of our lives that bring together this very symphonic, holistic sense of what of what God desires for us and where our lives are ultimately ordered. And to be able to see that, to be able to perceive the invisible happening within the visible is to really achieve that sacramental imagination. And so, you know, as Chesterton saw, you know, we can start to develop that at a young age within children. Um, and we're, I'm not suggesting that everyone has to go out and buy fairy tales for our adult listeners. But I, I think acquiring and really focusing and fine-tuning a sacramental imagination is something that all of us as listeners, you know, can really be focusing on. And, and this really takes work. <laughs> yeah. This really takes work. And Chesterton saw it. We live in a fallen world. Our minds 
have been darkened by the reality of original sin, we can get ourselves into really dark places through our own poor choices, and it constantly takes work to be able to see the enchanted world around us with a sacramental imagination. Um, I'm just going to offer you one more quote from Chesterton here as, as we kind of come down to our final minutes here. Because as Chesterton saw our perception of beauty and our perception of the sacramental life around us, it really is not uh, the most common thing, but he knew that it really should be. And in speaking about his own life, he said, I had not lost and I have never lost the conviction that such primal things are mysterious and amazing, those things around him. He says, but if they were amazing, why did anybody have to remind us that they were amazing? He continues later by admitting that in each one of us, there is, quote, a sort of daily fight to appreciate the daylight, to which we had to summon all imagination and poetry and the labor of the arts to aid us. But isn't that, isn't that daily fight to appreciate the daily, daylight around us really worth it? Mm-hmm. Isn't it worth to live with a sacramental imagination to be able to appreciate all the grandeur and splendor that God has created as our loving creator and how everything has been redeemed and elevated in the redemption of Christ Jesus? To be able to live on that level with a sacramental imagination, I think it's one of the great opportunities and real blessings of being a devout Christian. Last thought. The Mm -hmm. Sisters of Life have a medal that they wear on their neck as part of their religious habit. Mm-hmm. And on the back of it is one line from a poem that was written by their founder, um, the cardinal who founded them, who I kind of forgot right now. Cardinal the, O'Connor of New York. Cardinal O'Connor, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think he wrote it. I think he wrote it unless somebody else wrote it. It doesn't really matter. But somebody wrote this poem, and it's on the back of Sisters of Life. Metal, and one of the lines of the poem, it's referring to the incarnation. It's referring to the Annunciation. And the last line is, and with all things light invested. Mm. Right, And that's it. That's it right there. It's like, and because God became man, like, and because he continues to meet us in the like temporal realities, all things are invested with this transcendent light. Right? Mm-hmm. And the ways and the means of breaking open and seeing that light, um, yeah, that's the way of Christ breaking in through the kind of gloom of the brokenness, the darkness of our world and giving us hope. Mm-hmm. Father Shane, thanks for the thoughts from chesterton oh you're welcome i i could nerd out all day with this so it's good to good to share with others uh, thanks for uh father brown story soon because i that's kind of where that's that's how i know uh chesterton the best sweet that's great yeah we'll have to do that thanks father it's always good visiting with you thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in and let's keep striving after that sacramental imagination to see the extraordinary in the ordinary thanks for tuning in Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.